I hope so. Well, it's good to be back again this evening. And I won't tarry long and I won't uh, restate the things that I stated this morning. I have promised that I will finish on time this evening after taking an extended liberty this morning, but I hope it was valuable, I hope it was worth it. And I was happy to let Eric preach all the time actually and just get up and do the closing benediction and say amen and go. I learned some things about F.B. Meyer that I didn't know. That was interesting, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. So if you would, uh, just while I'm uh, opening up, would you turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 8? Interesting the way that's fallen this evening with starting to sing about the value of one. Uh, That's a great song. It's a lovely song. It's a true song. And we often think of that in terms of the value of one, the value of one soul saved. What God will do, the value to the Lord of every individual soul. But equally, I want to think of it this way about, uh, I want to think this way about it this evening. What about the value of one surrendered to go for the Lord? What have we just heard about F.B. Meyer wanting to get beyond the walls, beyond the church, outside, not, not, not instead of the church, by the way. Let me say that this evening. How many people want to just go off like Johnny Lone Ranger for the Lord? I don't go to church. I'm doing a work for the Lord and over the cliff they go. Jesus Christ died for the church. But the value of one submitted, surrendered, committed to doing something for the Lord beyond the regular worship of the church to reach the lost souls that are on the borders, on the boundaries, on the fringes. The value of one is so, so important. And that's going to come up for us this evening. I didn't plan it that way. I just thought about it while we were singing. So if you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 8, what I want to talk about this evening is missions on the desert road. Missions away from the crowd. Missions when you're out on your own and it's just you and the Lord because God uses that to do great and mighty things. It's easy when we're in the crowd. It's easy when we're at visitation. It's easy when we go in pairs. It's easy when we go in a group. It's easy when we've got others around us. But God can do incredible things because of the value of one saved and the value of one surrender can change entire nations. So Acts chapter 8, I've come to again to familiar ground, familiar passages as I've said this week, I want to, I want to make, um, specific points around specific passages that are simple, well-known and well-versed passages. Now, Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts, I'm going to pray you're all familiar with, uh, this evening, because I'm going to take some liberties for the sake of time tonight and skip over chunks. But we're familiar in Acts chapter 8, we've come through the stoning of Stephen, who's, who's given the longest sermon from Genesis to Revelation because he knows he's probably going to lose his life, so he'll preach for a couple of hours and run through Abraham and Moses and up and down. And he gives the invitation, and what was the response to the invitation? They killed him. Invitations don't always go well. They're not in human terms. Okay, it went well on God's terms. And then we come to Acts chapter 8 and we find this persecution coming up on the church and Saul who became Paul is breathing out threatenings and slaughter and wreaking havoc upon the church. But God used that. Uh, let's just read the first eight verses to start with of chapter 8 and then I'll jump a section and we'll move on. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that was Stephen's death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. There was an interesting move. The leaders of the church got left alone. It's the congregation that started getting knocked about a little bit. You know, things can move around, guys. Sometimes the persecution can come upon, the people who sat in the pews can come upon yourselves. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entered into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. 
Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere hiding for their lives. It doesn't say that, does it? Went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. We're on the run, you've got to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, is that Saul I see over the horizon? Be saved, believe on the Lord. Preaching the word. Fear for their life, preaching the word. Then Philip, and this is who we want to look at tonight, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And I'm going to assume you're familiar with the history of the Samaritans and the general stance of the Jews toward the Samaritans. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies, and that were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So God used persecution, get the church on the move, get them to do what they should have done long before in Acts chapter 1-8 when they'd been given the power to be witnesses. God gave them an encouraging hand by the form of persecution. Then we'll skip over the next few verses because it's all about Simon the sorcerer and all of that and we don't need to go there tonight. If you would, drop down to verse 26 with me. We're coming back again to Philip. Philip's gone out through persecution. Uh, Philip's gone into Samaria. There's been great, uh, a great evangelistic campaign. And then in the midst of all this, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Get on the desert road, Philip. Now, my understanding is, you know, that's not the main route back down to Ethiopia. He was taking the quiet route, the back road, the desert road, well out of the way of where all the travellers were going. Verse 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Kandaki, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be a Baptist? I'm kidding. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all cities till he came to Caesarea. And we'll end our reading there this evening. Maybe God, may God be pleased to bless just the very reading of his word to our hearts tonight. I hope that's an encouragement to us in and of itself. It is familiar scripture to you, I hope, 
Uh, but it should always be an encouragement. We should never tire of the familiar passages of Scripture. May the Lord give us a blessing every time we come back to Him. Let's take a moment and pray tonight. Our Father, our Holy Heavenly Father, we come before you again this evening, Lord. And I ask tonight, Lord, these are good and faithful people that have come out tonight, Lord. These are the backbone of the church. These are the ones who want something from you, Lord. And Father, I I pray we've read your word and therefore we have had something from you. But Lord, I ask you now, help me as I preach again this evening as we round off this wonderful Lord's Day. We've been fed. We've had so many interesting uh, facts about the missionaries of the past. We think of the days gone by and the great accomplishments for Jesus Christ by men and women, Lord, of these nations, of uh, Ireland and Britain and around the world. But Lord, we, we don't come to church for a history lesson. And we don't come for a Bible lesson. We come, Lord, asking that you would meet with us, that you would transform us, that you would change us into the image of your Son, that you would conform us to your will, to your way and to your work. So, Lord, I pray by your Spirit and by your Word tonight you'd again reach out, Lord, and you would touch hearts and you would unsettle the settled Lord, that you would bring us to a point where we are challenged about what you would have us to do for you. That, Father, you'd take us beyond and outside of our comfort zone. You may take us to the desert road. You may take us to the lonely place. You may take us well out of the way just for one soul. And I ask, Lord, that we'd be willing, we'd be responsive, and that we would be obedient to your heavenly calling. Our Lord, help us tonight. Help us to go from this place, challenged and changed, but uplifted and edified by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got the desert, your desert road. The first eight chapters that we read, we see that persecution, followed by preaching, followed by pleasure. Verse 8 says there was great joy in the, the city. Now let's remember that whether Lord Jesus Christ is preached, received and believed, there is always great joy. Now, you may come from great distress, great depression, great trial, great tragedy to the Lord Jesus Christ, but as we pass through Calvary, as we're washed in the blood and we come out the other side cleansed and changed, there is joy, always great joy at our salvation, not because of circumstances. Now, let's remember this. We've said it enough times and we heard it again tonight. The command, the call and the commission of God is not to bring them into the building. It is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to compel them to come in, but to get the gospel out there, to let the Lord be at work, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God preaching the things of God that this lost world may come to know their Savior and then they will become a part of the church. So often we just want to fill seats. So often we just want to see people. That's a good desire. We don't want to see chairs empty at church, but friend, we've got to get beyond these walls. If you think about this, if every Christian since the time of Acts had led two people to Christ down through the significant and repeating generation to the time of today, there would be over 7 billion Christians in the world today, more than the world population. Just if we could all lead two people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incredible just to think about that. We mentioned that this morning I don't want to repeat that, but I wonder tonight whether God would just lay it upon your heart this year, not outside of the Lord and not avoiding the Lord, but just ask God if God would help you lead even one person to the Lord Jesus Christ this year. So we'd love to see the church doubled in size. We'd love to see people brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen by osmosis, friends. Would you ask God 
And you may not make it, but here's the truth. If we, if we don't set any goals, we'll always achieve them. It's a spiritual goal, isn't it? It's in line with the Lord's will. He's revealed his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but he's long-suffering to us. Word. He's waiting, and he's waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. Ask God that God would lead you to some lost soul this year, even if only one, and you could bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it joyed my heart to hear Brother Eric talking about that 14-year-old young man. And I felt, I felt that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's what it's about. It doesn't matter what the age is, it's about finding somebody who recognizes their need for the Savior. Let me come back to the message so I can finish on time. Let me say this. Sometimes persecution brings conversions and all leisure does is bring pleasure. Sometimes we need to be kicked a little out of our, our comfort zones. I remember there was a Baptist preacher, never met him, but he's an American uh, pastor and Baptist preacher. And I, I remember one statement that he made, and it was this, that God would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Vance Havner said that. And sometimes we need to be afflicted a little bit out of our comfort zone to get on the zone to work for the Lord. Now, we can accept that these would have been difficult times for this fledgling church from Jerusalem, which is now scattering and persecuted. We've got the benefit of seeing from biblical history and understanding that God was just helping them. God was just giving them a loving touch to, to get out of their comfort zone. But the wonderful thing is we see this, that a faithful and true church, a regenerate church membership, is not broken when it's broken apart. It doesn't matter where we are in the world, Churches can break apart. Things can happen. Members can be scattered. But the true church is not broken. It is just removed to multiple locations. And we must remember that. A church may sometimes be scattered, but it should never be silent. Everywhere they went, as they're on the run, as they're on the move, what were they? Preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching and teaching. And the thing is, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, we get a picture of world evangelism. Those that were in the men's meeting will remember this. We were talking about Noah. Noah goes on to the ark with Shem, Ham and Japheth. What do we see in Acts chapter 8? An Ethiopian eunuch, a Hamite saved. What do we see in Acts chapter 9? The conversion of Paul, a Shemite, the Semitic people. What do we see in Acts chapter 10? The conversion of Cornelius, a Japhethite. There's a picture in 8, 9 and 10 of the world being evangelized. Every people group on the face of the earth, it's implicitly stated by the salvation of those three people groups. So it's encouraging. Now let's see what we're going to see tonight. Firstly, we're going to see a mission call. If you would come to verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. So let's remind ourselves of the setting. The church is scattered. They've gone to Samaria. Philip the evangelist has been involved with preaching to the Samaritans. People are being saved. Unclean spirits are coming out. Devil-possessed people are being saved. The the lame are being healed. There's great joy in the city. We skip over Simon the sorcerer, if you will. And we find really, at this point in time, here's Philip. He's been massively involved in this evangelistic campaign. A whole nation is being converted. Souls are being saved. There's great joy. There's a revival going on. The signs and wonders movement, the genuine signs and wonders movement, is actually occurring. Here's Philip at the midst. Praise God. Isn't this wonderful? Oh Lord, we're going to plant some churches here. Thank you for sending me to Samaria, Lord. Let's get organized. The fruits of the labor. Oh, what a blessing. And God says, hang on a minute, Philip. I'm done with you up here now. You may have been the instigator of my work, but I don't need you to facilitate it any further. God is working in us and through us, but he doesn't need us 
gospel continues. Philip has to recognize, as we have to recognize, we are just vessels in the hands of our God. At the point where in our humanity we could look back and say, we've run miles, we've preached the gospel, people are being saved, oh, we're going to have such a meeting now, there's going to be a revival meeting, at last there's going to be hundreds of people singing and praying and praising God, and we can be at the front, we can have a wonderful time together, and God says, oh no, Philip, it isn't going to work that way for you. I've got a missions call for you, Philip. I know you're comfortable with all the people. I know you're comfortable with the results. I know you're comfortable with what's going on. And Philip, quite frankly, it's a wonderful achievement. But guess what? I'm going to put a call on your life. What's that, Lord? Come out from everything. Take the back road to the back of beyond in the middle of nowhere and go down there. What's going to happen, Lord? I'm not telling you, Philip. Just go where I've asked you to go. But you can just picture it. But God, that's the desert road. Nobody even really uses that road. I mean, it's just, they kind of go down the main road where all these people are going and everybody's... No, take the back road. You see, that can be the mission's call sometimes. God can call one from the midst of the church and say, I want you to go down the back of beyond. You know, and for here, that's probably Caragoline, right? That's probably Brother Kevin. He got called to the back. Come out of the Bible Baptist Church and the wonderful meeting and fellowship with the brethren and go down to Caragoline and you may sit through some difficult times. You may not even see many souls saved, but come out from the worship, come out from the revival, come out from the souls being saved, come out from the people who are scheduled to be baptized, come out from pastor returning and cake and joy, come out and go to the back of beyond. That might be you tonight. God might be saying to one of you tonight, I've got somewhere over the hill, down the back of the sticks, as we call it our way, where no one else is, and that's where I want you to go. And you'll be going, well, what to do, Lord? And he might not tell you. He'll just unsettle you, settle you with the position, because the unsettling always comes before the settling, and he'll say, come out from the church, be sent out, follow me, and go to what I want. Just like Abraham. To a land that I will show thee. That was a mission's call. He's separated to go on the dry, dusty road. Now, God shows us those two crucial points that God will use us to instigate things at his will, but then he doesn't always need us to continue to facilitate them. God can use others to do that. Because God is at work, it is not any particular individual. We need to be submitted and committed to the Lord, but then God is not dependent upon us. We are dependent upon him. But let me say this as well. God may send you to a place purely to reach one soul. One soul. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. That's it. This, this record records one soul uh, being saved. Now let me say this. Secular history declares to us that this one soul was greatly used. The history of the nation of Ethiopia has become such or was become that it was a greatly Christian nation, a massive Christian nation, many souls saved for many, 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 many years up until recent times, there was a massive work of the Lord in Ethiopia. And, and, and sources attribute this back to the times of the apostolic times, back to the times of this Ethiopian unit. And maybe, just maybe, God changed the whole nation by sending one to reach one, just one chance encounter, one divine appointment that God had orchestrated on the road, but it required obedience and it required faith and a willingness to go. Do you know, we talk about these old missionaries and, uh, and uh, 
Uh, Martin showed us this morning up uh, in Bristol where uh, George Muller was. Well, up in Bristol, it's about an hour from where we live in Exeter. But there's a chapel, one of Wesley's old chapels, and it was the centre of his work across the UK. And on the wall there, you can go and you can walk around. It's still as it was primarily in Wesley's day. But on the wall, they've got sections with the old minutes that were kept from some of the meetings and the evening meetings down there. And one of them struck me, and I can't remember the names of the people, but it was the minutes of one of the uh, special evening meetings. And it went like this. I'll paraphrase slightly, but this is pretty much how it went word for word. When you talk about faith to surrender, faith to submit, and the faith to trust and obey God immediately, in the 1700s, here's how it went. The brother leading the meeting looked out at the congregation and said, we have a need for another missionary in New York. Who will go? And the record says, brother so-and-so lifted up his hand. I will go. Next line. The need has been met. There is now a need to send money to transport brother so-and-so to New York. Who will give? Next line, so much was given, this will cover the fare, brother so-and-so will go. You say, what's that? That's how they did missions in the 1700s. We have a need, who will go? I will go, thank you brother. Who will give? You will give, thank you. There's your money, there's your ticket, off you go. So what's that? Deputation, 1700 style. (laughs) But what obedience Now, we could say times have changed and they have. We could say things are different and they are. But the question is this, are we still the same? If God impressed on your heart tonight to go somewhere, to do something, would you get up and would you go tonight? I'd like to think that we would. You see, here's the thing with Philip. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go down that desert road. You need to know where you're supposed to go. Or you need to know why you're supposed to stay but you need to be ready to be used. Always ready to be used. You say, I'm not ready. No, that's not the case. You know what you're saying? If you say, I'm not ready, what you're saying is, I'm not willing to be obedient. See, we should always be ready. We won't turn there for the sake of time tonight, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. When I say, are you ready? Are you doing what you should do to purge yourself from the sin which doth so easily beset you after you say, so that God can call you out? You're not sitting there in guilt and, 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 and disuse, you're ready and purged and saying, Lord, if you would only use me, even tonight, Lord, I would go. You say, what's that? A mission's call. Philip was amongst it all and God said, get up and go down the desert road. And Philip, what? He arose and he went. Verse 27. God said, go. He said, I'm going. I am on my way. And then we see a missions conversation. He sees this man of Ethiopia, the, the eunuch under Kandaki, queen of the Ethiopians, and he's got charge of all the treasure. He's an important man. He's a proselyte to Judaism. He's a convert to Judaism. 
And uh, we find that uh, as, as Philip goes across to him, he, the Spirit says, go Philip, go. And he goes near the chariot and Philip runs hither. You know the story. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and Philip hears him reading the Scriptures. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Now think about this. Here's an Ethiopian eunuch, a proselyte to Judaism, reading an Isaiah scroll. That wouldn't have been easy to get a hold of. And that wouldn't have been cheap to get a hold of, but it was a man of authority, he was a man of power, he was a man of influence and a man of means. And he has the Isaiah scroll. Aren't you thankful the Bible's not in a scroll anymore? Aren't you thankful for the work that God has done? It's not the work of man. I'm glad I've got chapter names, numbers and verses in my Bible. I'm glad when, when somebody gets up there and says, turn to Acts chapter 8, I'm not going... <laughs> oh, wrong side. Yeah, aren't you, aren't, you know, people say, oh, you know, in the, in the originals there was no verse markings and chapter numbers. Good, I'm glad the originals are where God wanted them to be. Gone. He's given us a Bible. God's not outside of this thing. You know, God wasn't only active 2,000 years ago. You need to know what you've got in front of you. And I'm glad I've got the Word of God in front of me with the chapter visions and the verse divisions. And so... But look what it says. He's, he's reading the, uh, the scripture. He's reading the scroll. And uh, he said, how can I understand except a man should guide me? Now, would you notice in verse 32, notice this. I'm, I'm only going to divert for a second here. I had planned to spend some time, but I just want to make a point here. Verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. The scripture. Now, I'm just going to say something here tonight and I'm going to make a point that's important. If this goes against what you believe or what your pastor teaches, you just ignore it and put it to the side. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you allow me to make this point, I'll tell you why it's relevant because I think it's relevant to missions. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we understand that Paul is writing under the inspiration of God. And in verse 15... He, he writes and records what he says to Timothy. He said, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. He says the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures. He says to Timothy, when you were told you were reading the scriptures, would you note what he doesn't say? Uh, you were reading some uh, copies and translations of the originals which contained a lot of mistakes and man's error. It's not what it says. The Bible, the Word of God says, the Ethiopian eunuch was using the Scriptures. The Bible says that Timothy was reading the Scriptures. You say, why is that important? The following verse, all Scripture is present tense, given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I'm telling you, if you know where the Word of God is, and I do, it's in the King James Bible, this is the Scriptures that I can read. Why? Because the Bible said the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Scriptures. The Bible said that Timothy was reading the Scriptures and the same uh, passage says all Scripture is given, not was given by inspiration of God. Now, don't get misread by, oh, is that double inspiration? No, 
God inspired the originals and carried the inspiration through, down through preservation. God is an incompetent juggler who lost the scriptures. God is not incapable of fulfilling his word. When you know where the scriptures are, and I hope you do know where the scriptures are, I can help you, I'll tell you, they're in the King James Bible. They are scripture, they are perfect, they are preserved, and they've still got the inspiration of God in them. You say, what's that got to do with missions? Let me make my point here. Philip approached him after a missions call and he could have a missions conversation and say, you're reading the scriptures. I've got the scriptures. Let me tell you what God is saying. Philip did not have to say, well, I've not finished my four years at Bible college. I've only got two years of Greek. I've got another six years of Hebrew to do. And after all that, then I might be able to tell you what's wrong in there, what's right, where the mistakes of man are, what God was trying to do. And eventually I'll be ready to go on the mission field. Do you understand the point I'm making? Young men, young women, old men, old women, if you know where the scriptures are, if you know you have God's word, if you're submitted and committed to the Lord, guess when you're ready to go to the mission field? Right now. The world is in desperate need. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bible college. My daughter's there. My son-in-law just finished, just graduated. That's not an attack on Bible college. But you know what I'm telling you? God wants some rugged, raw, radical Jeremiah's ready to go, separated by the Holy Ghost, with the Scriptures in their hand, able to rightly divide the Word, and tell people right from the Word of God, thus saith the Lord. They say there's some mistakes in there. No, this is the Bible that God inspired. This is the Bible that God preserved. These are the very words of God. There's not a single mistake in it. And I, I, you know, I get on a hobby horse about this and I'm not parking there long tonight, but let, you tell, let me tell you this. Don't you, if you're saved, haven't you trusted God with your eternal never dying soul? You say, what do you base that on? What it says in the Bible. You think there's mistakes in the Bible? How do you know God isn't mistaken about saving your soul? I don't have any mistakes in my Bible. It is perfect because it's God's book. And I don't know a God who has done anything imperfectly, incapably or incompetently. The place of the scripture. You get a missions call, you've got the word of God. Take it with you and stand with confidence and tell the world what they need to know because God has revealed it in the scriptures. Now he's reading Isaiah. Is it possible the eunuch may have been reading Isaiah for the words of comfort for himself? He's an Ethiopian eunuch. Deuteronomy 23.1 says he's wounded in the stones. He couldn't have gone into the temple. He'd have sort of been on the inside as a proselyte, but still on the outside. And he may have been reading Isaiah 56.3 verse 7. We won't turn there tonight. You can make a note of that text, which brings comfort to those who were eunuchs, that God was going to bring them all together in worship and prayer and contained a future promise of comfort and joy for the man who was a eunuch. Perhaps he'd heard about that and he's looking for that through the scroll. Where is it? And as he's trying to get to Isaiah 56, he's reading Isaiah 53. See, the only thing God has promised to bless and use is his word. And if you don't think you have God's word, then how can God promise and bless it? Do you know what the Word of God is? Do you know where the Word of God is? Do you know what the Word of God says? I can't tell you how many people I listen to say, oh, you know, the Bible says something somewhere about this. It's not good enough, Christian friends. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, this. The Bible says this, and this is what it means. Study to show thyself approved unto God 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Rightly dividing. We need to do that. Be diligent to read the Scriptures. Be diligent to know you have the Scriptures. Be diligent to know what they say. Think about this. Isaiah's, God says, get over there, Philip. Think about the procession of people that would have been around the chariot. This is a government official. I've no doubt he was bringing a gift up. He would have been surrounded by guards or soldiers or, you know, pretty, uh, pretty uh, domineering guys. It's a bit like if one of your politicians was coming down in a motorcade and God says, uh, just pop over there, knock on the window and give a tract to the Irish Prime Minister, would you? It's a simpler call, isn't it? How would you feel? Whoa, what? I'm not going over there. Maybe that's what God is saying. Go and give your Prime Minister a tract. You see, Philip was obedient to the Spirit of God. Philip was filled with the Spirit of God. Remember, he's one of the seven deacons that were called in Acts chapter 6, filled with the Spirit of God, full of wisdom. You know, they were chosen men for a specific reason. Uh, He's called Philip the Evangelist, but I like to refer to him as Philip Gump. I'm showing my wordliness now. Run, Philip, run. You know, you've got to be a certain age to understand that one, or maybe you weren't raised as a Christian. But God's saying, come on, get to the eunuch. Get there while he's on this crucial text of Scripture. Get there while he's on Isaiah 53. This is a divinely orchestrated appointment, Philip. Get over there now. And Philip runs over to the chariot. No fear, no worry, no arguing with God, no getting on his knees. God said, go, and he went. Talk about a ready-prepared prospect. He had a humble heart, a teachable spirit, and he was desiring the truth of God's Word. And our job, you know, is to just explain the Word of God and preach the Word of God. Understanding will come from the Lord. But this unit, like Cornelius, like everybody else, he's living up to the light that God has given him, desiring to know more. And just as God sent Peter to Cornelius, he sends Philip to the Ethiopian unit. You see, friends, sometimes all we need to do is to be available because somebody's calling on God and saying, I don't understand this. God, I believe you may be there, but I have no idea what it's about. And the next thing you know, God takes you out to service, sends you on the back road and takes you to a prospect who doesn't slam the door in your face, who doesn't throw your tract in the bin, who says, I've been waiting for somebody to come and explain this to me. It does happen. Friends, it still happens today. I know of a missionary in Germany, I've got to watch the time, who happened to a Muslim family, desperate to reach Muslims. He knocked on the door. Long story short, the Muslim family invited him in. He's sitting there. His wife's preparing food and he's come to just share the gospel. He's on visitation and the, uh, the, the Muslim man who, who, who's, who's sitting there pulls up a piece of paper and says, can I ask you something? Can you help me before I listen to you? And the missionary Mark Batman says, yeah, sure I can if I will. And he, he hands him a piece of paper. He says, do you know this person? And Mark Batman gets a piece of paper and he looks at the piece of paper and do you know whose name was on it? Mark Batman. His own name was on the piece of paper. Now, friends, isn't that fairly scary in this time when you're a Christian missionary knocking on a Muslim door, visitation, and the man hands you a piece of paper and says, do you know this man? That could be worrying. Well, Brother Batman didn't admit to it straight up. He said, um, he said, uh, Why do you want to know who this man is? He says, somebody gave me this name and says, this man can tell me all about Jesus. And he witnessed to him. The man got saved. Long story short, that year they baptized and added to the church 2,000 Muslim converts in a church in Germany. Don't tell me the Lord has finished with divine appointments. The question is, does he have divine servants ready to go? A mission call, a mission conversation. I'm jumping over this, I'm over time already. And lastly, a mission conversion. What a wonderful conversion. Philip goes, 
Philip explains, Isaiah 53, the presentation of the Lord, the Lamb, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, John the Baptist, John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and there comes Philip, well the eunuchs, on that touch. Could there be a greater prophecy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lamb. The Lamb typified in Genesis 4, the Lamb prophesied in Genesis 22, the Lamb applied in Exodus 12, the Lamb crucified, the Lamb glorified, the Lamb proclaimed by us today, the Lamb revealed by Philip to the eunuch, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 35, this missionary conversion. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and told his testimony. doesn't say that. Friends, he preached unto him Jesus. Let me sound a note of caution here. Philip does not give his testimony. There's nothing wrong with giving your testimony and I hope you've got one. I hope you're saved tonight. But always be cautious about substituting your testimony when you should be preaching Jesus Christ. You know why? Because you can give an element, an eloquent testimony of your conversion and someone can turn around and say, well, that's okay for you. I'm glad it happened for you. I'm glad your life changed. But you understand when you preach to someone Jesus, they are accountable when you preach the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in full and final payment of our sins, when you explain to that lost person their requirement to repent and to be saved, they either accept or reject Jesus Christ. They're accountable to God for that rejection. They're not accountable for your testimony. Philip preached unto him Jesus. Share your testimony, but be cautious, friends. Don't share it at the expense of not preaching Jesus. We are witnesses unto him. No substitution for that. For I am not, it's on the banner in the hall, isn't it? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first, and also the Greek. So, he gets saved and they went on their way and you know the story, they came to certain water and the eunuch said, see here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? That's a great question, isn't it? There's plenty of cults around today I'll tell you why you can't be baptized or you've got to be baptized to be saved. He's a saved man and he says, what hinders me to be baptized? He just wants to follow on in obedience. This convert, he was ready to go. Why? Because Philip says, if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your Heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. There's people out there, guys. We just got to find them. We just got to be responsive to the Lord who knows where people are, are aching and dying and struggling in life and they're calling upon the name of the Lord. And God might be saying to you tonight, go to number 66, Balancolic High Street. I don't know if that's exact. And you're going, leave me alone, Lord. I'm, I'm trying to get this thing finished so I can go home and get a kebab and enjoy the Sunday evening. And whoever's at 66 on the high street, Balancholic is crying out to God, waiting for someone to knock on his door, and we're not responding obediently to God's call. And look what we see. The baptism takes place, and they follow in on obedience, and you don't need me to tell you about baptism. This is a good church. You understand these things. Look at verse 39. 
And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Pulled away from Samaria, pulled away from an evangelism campaign, down the dusty road, wondering what's going on. He sees a chariot. God says, get along there. He hears him reading the Scriptures. He's faithful to share the Gospel. The eunuch gets saved. What then? Work was done. Spirit of the Lord catches away Philip. He's gone. That's a true missions conversion. The eunuch never saw the man who shared the gospel with him again and Philip never saw the eunuch again as far as we know. The eunuch goes home to Ethiopia, shares the gospel, churches are planted, the nation of Ethiopia changes over generations. What happens to Philip? Does he chalk that one up, send it on his prayer letter? You know, we had six saved this month, seven baptisms, praise God, you know, 53 handshakes are going to be converted and all the rest of it. Nope. Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all cities till he came to Caesarea. No wondering why it worked that way. What's that all about, Lord? Well, I preached. He got saved. On to the next. Lord, you've planted me down. On with the work. It's just about the work. There's joy in the work, not joy in the glory. Joy in the work. God wants the glory. Let me conclude. I failed. I've gone over again, but not over as much as this morning. Let me finish with what I said this morning, or a similar thing. God sent Philip to the Samaritans and the Ethiopian eunuch. God sent Peter to Cornelius. God sent Paul all over Asia Minor. They're all dead and with the Lord. Who's he going to send now? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So what what was their ability? Availability. The best ability is availability. Let me close with this tonight. Are you available? And are you obedient? If so, God will still do great and mighty things today, tomorrow, through you, with you, through this church, in this town, in this city, in the nation, and in the world. The value of one. One soul saved. The value of one. One obedient servant. Is that you tonight? Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, I've done a disservice, I think, to this message, but Father, I pray that you will clarify this in the minds of the hearers, Lord, that you will continue to impress and to call and to unsettle. Father, it's a good thing to be in church. It is great to be in church, and this is a great church. But God, I know that you are working on the hearts and minds. I know, Lord, even from conversations I've had this morning, that you are already preparing souls to serve you. And Lord, I pray for those that are so desirous to be trusted and obedient with your call. I pray you'd give them clarity, you would give them direction, you would show them exactly what you would have them to do and where you would have them to do it. Lord, may this be a church that rejoices through obedient servants going out to divine appointments near and far, local and global. And that not only the angels in heaven will rejoice over one sinner who repents, Lord, we will rejoice as we hear the reports of even now 
souls being saved. There is always joy and rejoicing. Father, these may be difficult days. These may, may be days of toil, trial and trouble. But when salvation comes, they are days of rejoicing regardless of the circumstance. Father, rise up another Philip. Rise up another Peter or Paul. Rise up another Mary. Father, it doesn't matter whether man or woman, we're all called to go out and share that gospel. Help us to be responsive to your divine appointment, Lord, because you prepare the way. And what a wonderful way it is. Thank you, Father, for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you've given to us. May we serve you all our days that we may hear those wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.